listening to Buzz on 2020. With Sean Stone. Why is it after sundown? This place is like a ghost town. From a galaxy far, far away, Buzzsaw 2020, never the same story. Or maybe it is the same old story, but nothing new under the sun, so it always looks different. And we are bringing Buzzsaw back to you for those of you Buzzketeers who knew it in the past on Lip TV and Gaia, and now we are in podcast form, some evolution of storytelling, I suppose, in the modern age. I'm joined by Dean Ryan who's looking for the gym on my left, <laughs> and Adam Kokesh, who's looking to make a run for the 2020 presidency. So, uh, Thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it's good to get you guys in the studio. We think we did this once before, uh, a few years ago, being reminded me, was it five years ago? I'm not that old. <laughs> what, no, what are you talking about? You're not five years old? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no we're we're no, like we... one of those almost squads. Dean, I think, was jumping the gun a little bit earlier, but it's like... If, if the timing of our careers and circumstances lined up, every time we get together, we have a good time, the three of us. But last time we did this was with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. That's oh, what I was referring geez. to. Yeah. No, it's five, funny. Five years thank ago. Thank you, Facebook. I hate to, to say that. Five Those words ago. feel terrible coming out of my mouth. But thank you, Facebook. It was a four-year flashback. Five years. Five? Yeah. It showed up right after we booked this on my timeline of the three of us. And Rowdy Rowdy Piper yeah. in he's, his he's studio. A oh man! So Rowdy was was a legend, as we, many of you know mm. him as a wrestler from the '80s and '90s. He did nice a, a cool TV show with Jesse Ventura in the '90s, lasted like one season, and then he did a great film called They Live, which is a classic. If you haven't seen this movie, go yes. check this movie out. Yes. It tells you what is the reality. John Carpenter directed it, and it basically, I think he wrote it too, but basically, it's the glasses, right? You put the glasses on, and you see the world as it is, and we're being deceived. And, hypnotized on a daily basis by consumer-oriented products mm-hmm. by these evil aliens, mm-hmm. right, who look human. And that's the Well, watch truth. out for spoilers. You're getting, you're getting dangerously close. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's all in the trailer. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, if you don't know this by now, just if you've not heard about putting yeah. on the glasses, that was five it's, years ago. Oh, it's yeah. better than drinking, the, more important than drinking the Kool-Aid is putting on the sunglasses. Yep. So Rowdy was a, was a great guy. We loved him. He had, he, he had us all on a podcast together mm-hmm. a few years ago. And we were actually going to put him in a film which we had ultimately made called The Fury of the Fist. And he was going to play this great character called Willie. And he was like ranting about the Chinese takeover of America and the emasculation of men and all the conspiracies, you know, this trafficking of CIA, trafficking cocaine and all the conspiracies that we know. And if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you're up to speed with. And ultimately, Rowdy Piper died the month before we started shooting. In his sleep. And, it's, and, you know, it was so sad to hear because he was a beautiful human being. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, Don Fry played that character, and Don's a great... Actually, he, he played it very well. He's a great fighter from the UFC days. I mean, this guy is a champion. You see him go toe-to-toe in his matches where they just... Whew, he, he took... He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gorilla of a human being, literally. I mean, you stand with him, and you just see the power of his physique. <laughs> he's not good. particularly tall, but literally the Hulk... The, he is like a real-life Hulk, and uh, he played the role with so much passion, and I think, you know, he really knew he was doing it for Roddy. He's like, this is, you know, I can't do what Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper can do, but I can do it my way, and that. he did a great job with it, so. That's why I like hanging out with Dean. I get the same, like, sense of energy coming off him when I'm around Dean. 
you get Don Fry. Raw energy. physical power. The raw physical power. I think Dean is more like the John Lennon of raw physical power. Anyways, back to Roddy. Um, if folks want to find that interview, it is currently on YouTube on my YouTube channel somewhere out there until I get censored by the uh, uh, the Google people. Are you are you trying to get censored like your role model Alex Jones? Anyways, Roddy was a great guy. Um, that was five years ago, was it? It was five it was years fi- ago. Five yeah, years. Five so years in that ago. time, so I just want to start well, by five giving, years ago, bringing yeah. people up you to speed. You think Dean was the politician, huh? The, yeah. So let's let's get into this now. So at the time, we know I, I've had Adam uh, in debates on Buzzsaw previously, and on the podcast, we we had a good conversation about it. And I think at the time you called yourself an anarchist, and apparently you're calling yourself a volunteerist libertarian now. Well, I, I don't mind being called an anarchist when it's defined properly. I just don't. I think voluntarist is a more accurate term because. If you, if you define government as a coercive monopoly, which I, really any honest person looking at it does, just acknowledging the nature of it, uh, then – and given that I'm against anything that's that's coercive, that's involuntary, that's a violation of individual rights in that sense, if you if you stick to those definitions, I'm an anarchist. Uh, and, and in the truest sense of the word of no rulers, yes, we should have no rulers. You should have no one forced upon you. To tell you how to live your life, and, and in that sense, yeah, happy to say, yeah, absolutely, I'm I'm an anarchist. Well, there's a difference between a libertarian though and an anarchist. I mean, ultimately, we have well, to there's admit subsets. that there's some level. Well, there's a question of rulership in the nature of even an animal, you know, in in the state of nature, in in nature of the you know the jungle, for example. There's a sense of look. There's different roles played by different animals, and ultimately, you know, it's there is a sense of hierarchy of being eaten and by a, another thing. So oh, even God. if we exist in a state of nature, you're saying that we can live without any level of government, that basically can be a complete roundtable of existence, that everyone is 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 basically at the same level as far as economy? I mean, no, because no, no, hold on, have, no, no, hold on. Yeah. You're, 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 you're kind of on the right track, but you're extrapolating in a different direction. For me, it's really just a simple ethical premise. So again, if, if you say that government is a coercive thing, you know, and, and, and I'm saying I'm for ethics— then, then, then I'm against any form of government. But like, if it's government can, is just how society organizes, and we can transform it into something voluntary. And and what I would advocate is that we do that through localization, mm-hmm. and that it, it becomes kind of a silly semantic distinction. That at some point, you know, I would say, well, that's not government. We have other words for that. That's a community-based organization. That blah blah blah, or that's an insurance company, or that's a dispute resolution. You know, whatever it is that people produce when they come together at the community level sure. to decide what meets their needs best rather than having something forced on them. Sure, and so but there's I, always going to be a minority that would disagree. Right, and so do you give that minority the option to just opt out and, and live peacefully on their own? And I say you have to in order for it to be ethical at its premise. Okay, but so you're, but so you're not, you can't be anti-government and running for president, or can you? Well, some you can people... Be anti, you can be anti the American government as it currently right, exists. Right, 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 right. Right, but you can't be completely fundamentally anti-government if you want to be president. Well, so anytime I have to introduce myself as a presidential candidate, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Because oh. you really have to be a psychopath of some kind to <laughs> want to that. be president. Yeah, no, I mean, Dean does it regularly. I just did that right well, now. He has other gagging reflex problems. But... Oh, I thought he wanted to be president, <laughs> You know we're being recorded, right? Oh, okay. oh yeah, this is... Yeah, this is anyway, not a telephone um, call. No, but uh, so... You really, this is a power that shouldn't exist. You have to have some kind of insane arrogance to say that I can be a better central planner, that I can run people's lives for them. And so 
What I'm often asked with this platform of dissolving the federal government in a peaceful, orderly, responsible manner, taking it through a bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign nations. Some people look at that and say, well, that's really radical, and I wouldn't disagree that it's fundamental change. But in a sense, it's extremely moderate as well, because of the 22 million people who work for government at all levels in the United States, it's only about 3 million that work for the federal government. Mm -hmm. And a big chunk of those are going to be transitioned to state government employment. So we're really only talking about cutting maybe... Somewhere around one in ten government employees altogether. Can, can America handle that? Can we deal with one tenth less? Just that we're going to we'll get rid of one in ten government employees. You sound, you, you sound like Trump. Like right. you know, no, want, it's not a the um, who is it? Patrick Henry. And but budget. It's, it's not a new concept. Well, not a new fundamentally concept. with the localization, it's also the the solution to polarization. Right now, when we're forced into a one size fits all solution. If you're a liberal and I'm a conservative and we meet on the street, we kind of have to see each other as enemies because one of us is going to be right and wrong. One of us is going to win or lose. And ultimately, we're both going to lose because we're both a part of the system where the corrupt forces in Washington profit off of this system. Whereas if instead I can say, oh, that's great. I want you to be able to live like that. That's great. I hope you're enjoying living like that in your community. I'm going to live like this in my community. That sounds way more American, doesn't it? Where we can respect each other's freedom. We, we're not united in government. We're united in freedom. We're united in principle, united respect for each other's rights. Yeah. So how do we transition to that is localization. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a natural tendency of where we're going because we've seen essentially the consolidation of power across yeah. the planet into corporate hands. Right? I am. Um, I, I actually I disagree. On mass. I disagree. Okay. Of course you do, Dean. Okay, Dean. What do you? What, what's your idea? No, I'm just saying I disagree. <laughs> Okay. Duly noted. I, I don't. I don't have to tell you anything. Do you know that makes I'm you literally like no different than a sock puppet at this point? Well, look who's talking. <laughs> look who's talking. So let's continue. Yeah, I was this, told I'm the buffer with, right now. Let's That's continue why I'm with here. this issue about okay, corporations. Excuse me. I, we all have issues with corporations. I'll go, um, so I want to get into. Email. I want to get into conversation <laughs> with Caleb Moppin, who's going to join us via Skype or uh, Skype slash phone slash virtually through the electromagnetic fields. Um, EMF, the magic of the interwebs. He, Caleb is cool. He's uh, he's he does work with RT um, as I do, and he's a commentator. He's written some books. He's considered, I guess he'd call himself socialist, and that's why I want to have this discussion because I think there's, there's at this point, I've seen him debate a fascist, right? I've literally seen the, what they call him alt-right, right? Like an alt-right guy and a socialist debating. And what I loved was the fact that they agreed on so much, which is fundamentally we all hate the corporate state. Yeah, We're all tired of the corporate takeover hey of America. How are you? Caleb. Caleb. Hey. Can you hear us? Hey. Hey. Can you hear us or hey? I can hear you. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if I should I should put my phone on speaker. Um, that way you can good. still hear me and then hear you over the computer. Um, and I'll, I'll mute my phone. Does that you, can't hear us, you can't hear us on the phone? <clears throat> I can hear you on the phone, but I, I should I just be holding my phone no. as I talk? Or? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you can put, put, it, you can put it on speaker. speaker. That's cool. Okay. If, if you can hear us, press the number two. <laughs> How's that? All right. Still, okay. okay. Still coming yeah. in clear. So, well, very good. Very good. <laughs> two, two for Spanish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was just introducing you a little bit, Caleb, talking about how you are uh, a writer and you, uh, you've done – this is a new book that you have out. I think it's called uh, The City Builders. Is that it? 
city builders and vandals in our age. Awesome. You right see, here. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, what, what was that? Right? The city builders and vandals in our age. But he, oh, Caleb, as I understand it, is essentially looking at this ancient debate between left and right. Why don't you give us a little uh, pitch on your book? Okay. Um, well, I, I've gotten a lot of interesting feedback on it. Uh, when people saw that I was writing a book about socialism or whatnot, uh, people expected that I was going to be writing the content of a Michael Moore movie or something. But when people, <laughs> or a Bernie, when people a Bernie took campaign a look speech. at it and they saw that I went back to Julius Caesar and I went back to the Epic of Gilgamesh That's and I talked solid. about the struggle between human progress and chaos and reaction that has taken place throughout the centuries and millennium up to now, uh, people thought it was a very, very unique approach. And it really transcends and tries to correct a lot of the confusion about the nature of the left and the right. I think a lot of people are stuck in a Cold War mentality. Um, and this takes things up to now. And I get into all kinds of questions. I get into issues, for example, the negotiations on the Korean Peninsula, the nature of the mm -hmm. Trump administration and the divisions within uh, the billionaire monopolists that rule the United States, stuff like that. I, you know, I love you mentioned the epic of Gilgamesh because we were talking about the Fury of the Fist. The Fury of the Fist previously, which was the film we put out, and the Fist is inspired by Gilgamesh as the epic hero of beginning, really the first epic hero, I think, in Western literature, we could say. Wow. No? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're an historian. So in terms of where we can agree, because this is really what I want to start with, I watched the Democratic debates, right? Out of cure, actually, I was kind of forced. You really, to. I was kind of forced yourself, to. No, no, no. And I'll duress. tell you. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you why. It I was really under. Hate it you. was. It was semi under duress, but I'll tell you why. Oh, I wanted to see Marianne Williamson, oh, and I'll God. tell you something. You could just watch the like three minutes they allow her to talk on exactly. a highlight reel afterwards, and exactly. not have to sit through all the other. <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. No, no. I, what an insult. I get that, but here's my thing. I love Marianne Williamson as a candidate. I think that she's the she's the only one out there that basically oh, yeah. says you guys are a bunch of frauds. <laughs> I mean, she underhandedly said that to the rest of the Democratic party right she goes you guys are a bunch of frauds yeah and you're out here ultimately serving corporate interests yep, right and it's really about the uh, we're not looking to the deeper in issues the underlying issues we have to go with a with a with a state of love and to me this is oh yeah the key moving forward i think adam agrees with that dean i don't know if he knows what love is but essentially <laughs> we all are looking towards wait, wait hey don't make fun of his childhood okay no Just what's love got love? to do with it oh no i would never do that but the point is that we're moving into a state of, you know, we, it's about a future of basically, as Adam was talking about just before you came on, Caleb, localization, right? The idea that we as on a local or a more intimate level know each other better than at the grand state level. And so this is the issue that we always come to, right, where it's like, you know, how is it the one and the many can coincide? How can we as individual atoms in this, you know, America, let's say, coexist when we're obviously so different, every one of us, and so many different interests, and yet they're trying to create one-size-fits-all modalities most of the time, right? It's like, well, you know, the nature of democracy is three wolves vote and the one chicken gets eaten. It's, it's, it's unfair for most people because the wolves are being paid by corporations, even though the wolves are very small, the 1% or let's say the elites are a very small group, they have too much money and influence, as we know in politics, right? In, corp in the nature, we talk about how we've seen the inflation of power into corporate hands. Everyone fundamentally is serving a corporation. We're buying from a Starbucks. We're going, you know, we're eating at a corporate uh, restaurant or a Walmart or whatever it is. We're trying to survive. I love how you use yourself and as the example there with your Starbucks right, and right I mean, in front of you. I avoid it There's as a much term as possible. For that. But, you know, when you're no, no, traveling... No, no, your point is it's pervasive. I mean, you can point to the microphone, your T-shirt, the, 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 the stands, like yes. everything. It's, yes, yeah, it's right. pervasive, right? I mean, we're in this corporatocracy. And I think there is room now 
for the socialist and the anarchist or libertarian to come together and say there are certain principles that we're both working towards. How can we make them unite? All right. I gave my little spiel. Adam, what's your problem with Bernie? Let's start with that. And then well, Caleb well, can no, respond. no, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the love train, Sean. <laughs> no, no. Somebody's high. Yeah, no, I, I no, I, I I share your appreciation at a fundamental level for Marion Williamson. I was asked uh, of all the Democrat candidates which I would like to debate the most, and she was easily my top pick because I love that grounding, and I think it's been a big part of my own development in looking for a fundamental ethical principle that is based on love and respect and how I want to meet my fellow human beings and applying that to politics. And for a lot of time, for, since, since the founding of the Libertarian Party, libertarianism has been misrepresented as a political philosophy when it's really an ethical philosophy. And, and I think localization is the bridge. Mm-hmm. I really do. And, and, and I, would, I would love to hear Caleb's take on this because there are, and this, this is, I, I know I, f- I feel in, in the, company of such an expert, especially of the historical perspective, that this might be an, an insultingly simple oversimplification. But there are people uh, uh, who describe themselves as socialists and that, that I see as kind of in one of two categories, at least. There are those who have no problem with state power, no problem with violence, no problem with the central authority, not just as a means to an end, but as the end state. They don't mind a, a, a sort of War, I don't want to say totalitarian because they wouldn't say it that way, but mm-hmm. they would admit that it's a coercive central authority. And then there are the socialists, and, and, and I think this is the majority, who say, no, the, the end goal has to be voluntary. And they're, they're, in, in a sense, they, they would be more anarcho-socialists. And if you're an anarcho-socialist, then you're on the same ethical page as me in the sense that I don't care what society looks like. I don't want to dictate to you what your community looks like, whatever you can come up with, with people coming together voluntarily. So I'll take a step back and, 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 and turn over to Caleb with just one quick example. And although I'm a, I'm a member of the tribe, you know. Which one? The, the, the hook nose tribe? Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Um, Ashkenazi. Yeah, <laughs> right. Ashkenazi, actually, yes. And uh, the, the fringe rise of white nationalism in the United States is genuinely just dis- like viscerally disturbing to me. I, I just watched uh, Woman in Gold, great movie about the, the painting that the Klimt repatriated from Austria. I have actually a family connection to that. My, my grandparents who left uh, Hungary before World War Two avoided that fate. But anyway, so. As, as viscerally disturbing as that genuinely is, if you're a white nationalist or any other kind of ethno status and you think that people should congregate and form communities and societies based on race, I want you to have the right to do that. If you do it on private property, you go homestead your own space, you're not holding anybody captive, you're not forcing it on anybody, anybody else's, as disgusting as I think that is, I will not use force to violate your right to come together peacefully, to organize that, to choose who you associate with and what those terms are, as long as it's voluntary. That's the criteria of, of ethics that's important to me. And on the flip side, you're a gun-grabbing socialist who wants to you know, live in a, in, in a commune in the woods where everybody's naked all the time. Like, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll keep my... I'm not going to live there, but I'll get my entertainment from a distance. That's great. But I, similarly, it's like, as long... As you're not forcing it on anybody, you're not holding anybody captive there, I want you to have that right. 
And some people would say, and this is where I think the bridge to socialism is, is that, well, hey, let's establish this universal ethic. Mm -hmm. You can't you just can't use force. You can't violate individual rights. You can't force yourself on anybody else or property that they've legitimately acquired. However you want to define that. I know there's some argument there. And I I admit that that conversation is fundamentally subjective. But that if, if we say this is the one ground rule, you can't violate individual rights, you can't use coercion. And people with the socialists would say, well, then some form of socialism is going to win. OK, cool. I, as long as it happens voluntarily, people buy in. I'm, my right to opt out at any time is respected. Sure. You're right. Everybody else is right to opt out at any time is respected. I'm all for it. Caleb, any, any thoughts? Well, I want to begin by saying that I admire Adam Kokesh in many ways. Um, the fact that he's a veteran who speaks out against these ugly wars, I think that's very, very admirable. And on most day-to-day issues, we probably agree with each other. Uh, We see that the country is gradually turning into a low-wage police state. Uh, Our civil freedoms are being taken away. Uh, Mm -hmm. The big corporations and bankers have all the power. Mm -hmm. Um, So on that point, we would agree. And I would would even go further as to say we agree in the ultimate goal. Mm. I would like very much to get to a world that is free of coercion, a world where people can just kind of do what they feel like doing, But I think that the way to get there is that you have to get rid of scarcity and Mm. poverty because that is the basis of Mm -hmm. state power and coercion uh, throughout human history. Nobody was ever talking about human rights and civil freedoms until like the 1400s in Europe. And the reason for that was because Europe had reached a level of economic development. But as we Mm -hmm. establish greater material abundance, we're able to open up as a society and have more freedom. Um, And that the economic component behind politics and behind the basis of of establishing more higher levels of individual rights can't really be ignored. And I think the only way that we can get to a society with so much material abundance that that people can really have the level of total freedom that I think Adam strives for and I think we all strive for is if we get out of the, the system of production for profit. Banks, factories and industries need to be operated in a rational way so that society can continue to have economic growth. We, we have a deeply irrational system. Capitalism, I define capitalism as a system where the major centers of economic power operate for profit. Capitalism is a deeply irrational system, and we're living in a time that is really defined by what I would call accumulation through destruction, where capitalists are essentially making profits not by making widgets or producing products, but rather through destroying things, right? Whether it's the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, uh, the destruction of entire countries, sinking them into poverty and reducing them to captive markets. The way the billionaire globalist monopolists who run the United States acquire their wealth at this point is through holding back human progress. And I would say that what we need more than anything right now is we don't need to get the government out. We don't need chaos. We need a government of action that will take action and stand up to the billionaire banker elite that is destroying the future of this, of this country and, and the planet. I think we need a government that will, that will fight for average people. We need a government of action to fight for working families. And that would mean organizing the economy to serve public good rather than the irrationality of profits. Mm. I, was, I, 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 taking notes. I wish I was taking Let notes all that. respond to the, what he raised about the, the point about, about non-aggression and voluntarism. Because in essence, that sounds good. And like I said, I would like to get to a world without any coercion. But but if you were to implement that at this moment, that would be kind of like you almost have to imagine kids in a schoolyard. Right. And they're playing that game King of the Mountain. Right. They're trying to get to the top of the hill. 
and one kid gets to the top and he says, okay, new rule in the game, no pushing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the operation here because the way the, the people who rule the world at this point got their wealth was not through voluntary activities. It right. was through theft and coercion right. and all of that. So if we simply declare we change the rules of the game, all that does is solidify their position. I think that, that instead of having a government that fights for billionaires and monopolists, we need a government that fights for average working people, right? I think really, you know, you know, the Cold War is over. The 20th century is over, right? And, and the Soviet yeah. model of doing things is not going to return. Great things were accomplished, but also great problems and difficulties resulted from that. But it, the difference between 21st century socialism and capitalism is that in capitalism, the government is basically controlled by the corporations. The government is simply a front for billionaire monopolists. But 21st like century socialism is when you have a state, a, a state that is uh, fighting and controlling the corporations. In capitalism, the corporations control the government. In socialism, in socialism, the government is controlling the corporations. And that's the difference. We need a government that controls the anarchy of production and allows unlimited economic growth. And I think the successes of China, the successes of what we did see in the Soviet Union going from being one of the most impoverished countries in the world to going to be a global superpower, point to the fact that we can have a rationally planned economy outside of capitalism. We don't need the chaos of the market. We don't need the greed uh, to be the basis of economic systems. Well, this is where I get in, This is where I kind of I'm mm-hmm. actually getting to that path you're talking about. To me, there's a bridge. It's a really interesting because it's an interesting conundrum, right? Like we're talking about places like China, which I would never want to live in. I mean, the censorship, the control is is outrageous in in the country, and you know it's unfair, really, in a sense of it's really a few people that have all the power. And yes, they've done wonderful things for bringing people out of poverty and building a uh, building an infrastructure. But to me, the basis of what government should be about is basically providing infrastructure and helping infrastructure, and then getting out of the way of most businessmen. Because the biggest problem we've seen is, you know, over the course of the 20th century is the consolidation. We talk about how corporations thrived. They thrived essentially because they gobbled up the small businesses and the middle class businesses who largely, let's say like, look, we know there's a Federal Reserve system that's fundamentally inflating the dollar, controlling our, controlling our economy. The only way to, to actually, I think, arrive at this place you're talking about, Caleb, and you're talking about, Adam, is in a sense of us as individuals empowering ourselves in a, through information to step out of those systems of power. So I think the path ultimately to move to move in that direction of where we want to go is not to say the, the government's going to be there and be the, the policeman for the corporations because there's no way that you can get at this point, you can separate the self-interest of the corporations who are basically buying politics and it's not going to, you know, they're affecting politics. There's no way you're going to change that at this moment. But we as people, what we can do is educate ourselves to say, I'm going to go and use Bitcoin as much as possible. We're going to set up our yep. own our own voluntary-based currencies, right? We're going to create our own cryptocurrencies, our own blockchains of transparency. We're going to use blockchain technology for voting purposes. We're going to start to interface with each other as communities that are conscious to say we're not, you know, we have enough conscious pe- people, you know, within our own collectives. Even though we're across the planet, you know, we're, we're across the country right now. We have friends who are all over the world. And we can literally start to move towards our own forms of economy and basically say, if you're not a conscious, virtuous being, we don't want to interface with you anymore. That's, I think, the step that has to be taken through the voluntary path of us as beings to choose who we interface with. Ideally, I wouldn't be drinking Starbucks. Trust me. (laughs) It's like at moments, do 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 I say, look, it's convenience and I'll take it? Yes. 
Most of the time, I'm going to support the small farmer. Most of the time, I'm going to support the local uh, production chain, right? That's my choice, and that's where we have to empower people to make informed decisions, I think, to ultimately move to weaken the corporations. Because at any moment, those corporations are fragile. That's why they're consolidating. They're gobbling each other up because they are so fragile. And they're, but they depend upon us at the end of the day. It's not the government that saves them. It's ultimately the fact that they've hypnotized us into buying their, their movie tickets, into buying you know, their products, into buying their bullshit. And if we, let, if we stop buying it, they will fail. What about the Green New Deal? No. <laughs> oh. well, well, Sean, if Sorry, I may, I'm, I'm just trying to add <laughs> to the conversation, Sean. I'm, I'm really tempted to, uh, to, to, to harp on Sean and, and make Please fun of do. all the contradictions. And, Let me hear it. Please, no, I'm begging We want, we want government to it. get out of the way of businesses, except the infrastructure businesses. Those we want monopolies on. But I'm no, not no. going to harp on that point. Oh, I'm going to oh, skip ahead. I didn't say monopoly. I'm going to skip ahead. By the that? way, I never believe in government. No, but wow. that you want government to, to, to have... I think government should incentivize it because okay. if, because oh. someone so has wrong. to has to take you're an wrong. Incentive and interfere. All right, you're but wrong. more importantly, I want to, I want to focus on two big things that Caleb brought up that that I think are uh, uh, another opportunity for a bridge here that's really important to see. It, 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 and, and Sean, I understand that that I mean you you share this this ethical ideal that you're an activist. You're motivated by a sense of injustice yeah. that you want you know. Yes, and and and, and I'm, I'm I'm grateful to hear sure. that. Certainly, Caleb is, is is more of that ilk of socialist than than the ideologue, and given that th- there are a couple important things here that we certainly have in common, as was pointed out, in terms of recognizing the massive economic injustices created by the current system, and and uh, where I would I think differ slightly in the understanding is how those are inherent with the state. But one place I, I want to—it just occurred to me as, as, as a great bridge of understandings where you say you want a proactive government to go in and right some of these existing economic wrongs, yeah, where there's there are concentrations—you're nodding, yes, sort of? I mean, that's one of the things when you say you want a proactive government— that it, it, it goes and addresses these unjust concentrations of wealth and power that we know are a product of the Federal Reserve System, that we know are a product of central banking in general, of corporatism, of government favoritism, of all of these things. And, and, and in some you know, cases, legitimately products of modern industrialization. But most of them are most of the concentrations of wealth and power that we see today wouldn't exist without the intellectual property racket, without corporatism, without cor- political corruption. And in, in the sense that I, I agree, I would like to see that not untangled. If there was a perfect way to say every dollar that's been stolen shall be returned to its rightful owner, that there would be a way to do that. And, and, and I know you're not suggesting anything as, as I, you know, silly you know, as, as an ideal as that or unrealistic. But there are two things that, that I think get us in that direction. And one is, as Sean pointed out, the, the use of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. just saying, hey, we don't need their monetary system anymore. We already have something. We already have a market-based alternative. We already have a completely voluntary system. And you know, whatever you say about Bitcoin, I, I don't want to debate it but in this context, but just to say that look what we just proved is possible here. You don't need a central bank. You can have a system of money that's voluntary, that's not forced on people, and that you have the potential in developing these decentralized systems of essentially, you know, in a, in a fight club kind of way. Like, we're going to take out the debt record. We're gonna, I mean, yeah, that's what happens. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a techno optimist. I see, especially with cryptocurrency, eventually, one way or another, some version of it displacing all fiat currency. And it's a, it's a P 
peaceful, orderly transition that it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to, you know, yes, rich people will still be able to take their un, unjustly acquired gains and, and buy into cryptocurrency. But it's going to be the, the hugest step in the right direction that you could possibly have. And did I just say hugest? Bigly. Bigly. Thank you. The bigliest, uh, the bigliest yeah. yeah. possible uh, th that you can have in, in a way that's voluntary and sustainable. And in terms of government achieving that, this is where I think that the, the platform politically and, and, uh, of localization would have particular appeal because we're saying by dissolving the federal government, by localizing it down to the states, that the violent prop of that monetary system of the federal government backing it up completely goes away. Um, and there was one other big bridge, but now we've talked about so much other fun stuff I forgot. But there, there are a lot of opportunities there. You see where we're going with this, right, yeah. Caleb? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of what you're saying here is true. Um, and that if you look at the strength of 21st century socialism, one example could be Nicaragua, right? Nicaragua, under the Sandinista government, has had very big economic achievements, reduced poverty very significantly, mm -hmm. increased the GDP by very big amounts. Uh, and part of the way they've done that is even as a socialist government, they have launched a program of helping right. Nicaraguans to become micro-entrepreneurs. And that has been one of the things that they've been very successful yeah. with. And they've yeah. been loaning people money and all of that. But their entrepreneurship as small business owners fits in with an overall state central plan uh, to allow economic growth. Uh, they don't simply allow corporations to just come in there and do whatever they want. It's capitalism on a small scale fitting into an overall socialist economic plan of development. No, that, that perfectly, and, I'm going to throw it right back to you, Caleb. I'm sorry for interrupting, but that gets me exactly to the other point I forgot about. You'll see I just want to connect with you here and bring this into your, your point that, that you need a profusion of wealth, an increase of wealth to have this, this society that we're envisioning. Isn't it happening regardless just with the development of technology and the, and the profusion of wealth that comes along with that? Well, the thing with technology, and I will get to that, that almost points to why we need to get out of capitalism more than anything. But before I, I get to that, I, I must say that, you know, when you talk about localization, if you go around the world to any of these countries that are basically being targeted by Western capitalism, the way they draw their strength, the way these governments draw their strength is from local and community councils, whether it's Venezuela with the Bolivarian circles in every neighborhood, whether it's, uh, you know, in Nicaragua, they've got citizens' power councils. When I was in Iran, I thought the Basij or the mobilized oppressor in every neighborhood enforcing the goals of the Islamic Revolution on a local level. And it seems that these governments that have broken out of the global capitalist imperialist system draw their strength from local communities. Yeah. Um, and, and that is where they draw their strength. But as far as technology, and I like what you're raising about Bitcoin. Let's, let's go to technology in a it, second. It, I just want to, Caleb, I've heard recently sure. really her horrible reports, actually, about you know the Sandinista government, essentially, and um, the fact that it has become a bully. And just like what we see with a lot of these countries, in Iran in particularly, I mean, I've seen up close how flawed these systems are. And I think that they're not really good models to point at because you're looking at systems of government that are extremely coercive, more so even than what we have here, which is a mental, there's more mental coercion that takes place here and it's psychological. So I would say Americans funny because, you know, in most of these countries, they're corrupt. So it's like, you know, you have a few people of influence and you have to know who to bribe to get out of jail. Or, you know, if you get a ticket, you know who to bribe. Here in America, 
everyone has to bribe. So basically, we all have to pay you know, 70 bucks if we get hit with a parking meter ticket for 15 minutes over, right? That's the different nature of corruption in America. It's more, it's universal right. corruption. No, no, but his point <laughs> stands because those governments are propped up by centralized system. And his point is not that, that, yeah. that socialism or the, that, that the, at the central level is the, is the solution, but that the local control makes it harder for those central governments corrupted by larger Western powers or like the World Bank to, to, to really harm those communities as much as they would otherwise, right? I, yeah. I, I think well. you're confusing the goal with the method because socialism is not an, a goal. Socialism is a tool, and it, it is something that countries that are deeply impoverished, facing far worse situations than any of us here in the United States face, have utilized to try and get out of dire circumstances. Um, and, I mean, the reason, if you look at, you know, the Islamic Republic or of Iran, you look at the old Soviet Union, the reason these countries were very authoritarian was out of necessity. They were under straight-up attack. They were facing blockades and encirclements. And it's with socialism and with centrally planned economies that they've been able to build infrastructure, eradicate poverty, and do real economic miracles. But that is not the way that they are now is not the goal. That, that, is, simply, that is simply the result of breaking out. The goal is, is to get for that. And you talk to any person from China, for example, they'll tell you they have big problems with human rights. They need reform. They are the first to admit that they have difficulties and problems. But if you go to countries all throughout the capitalist world uh, that are in chronic poverty, they are kept in that state by the Western system. What makes socialism different is that these countries have broken out of it and that they are starting to move ahead. For, for example, I always tell people it's really, really ironic. The USA says it supports democracy, right? Well, who are the allies of the United States in the Middle East? You've got the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. You've got the, uh, the monarchy of Kuwait. You've got the monarchy Jordan. in Jordan. But who are the countries the USA has attacked? <clears throat> the Syrian Arab Republic, right? Yeah. The Republic of Iraq, right? They say, oh, well, in Iraq, the elections were rigged, blah, blah, blah. Saudi Arabia doesn't have rigged elections. They don't have elections yeah, at man. all. It's an absolute yeah. monarchy, right? Yeah. And the, the Western capitalist system, the global monopolist bankers that rule the world, they tend to reinforce uh, the, the primitive and underdevelopment aspects of countries. They tend to keep countries on a lower level, whereas countries that have broken out, whether it's with the Baathist Arab socialist model or Bolivarianism like, like in Latin America or like what China has done, have been able to advance and move ahead. Um, and you can see that. And, you know, in the Middle East, uh, the Saudi government is supporting Wahhabi terrorism all throughout the Middle East. They essentially want to set up, you know, a 14th century government. Um, you know, across the Middle East with public beheadings and women not being allowed to drive cars, et cetera. Whereas, you know, if you look at the forces that, that are challenging the power of Western capitalism, can they do better in terms of human rights? Absolutely. They would like to do better in terms of human I, rights. I but in order to do that, they, they have to break out of, of this system. They have to seize control of the centers I, of economic power. And, and that's a necessity. But I think that the ultimate goal of a world without any coercion is, is a good one. And that's actually, you know, that's, that's the Communist Manifesto, right? The ultimate goal is a vision of a society from each according to their own ability, from each according to their needs. But that is only possible when you break out of the conditions of scarcity. And this, this whole thing about bitcoins and technology really is the essence. I mean, and, and it's bizarre that Marxists don't talk about this. If you read Capital by Karl Marx, that he considered his magnum opus, it is all about technology and how workers compete with machines, and how in capitalism, the more efficient the, the means of production the factories become in producing goods, the more effectively they churn out goods, 
the poorer people get, right? Because the, you, you're reducing the role of people at the assembly line. And that wow. leads to a glut or a crisis, right? Because workers are also consumers. A great example I have here today is Wall Street Journal. Gas glut uh, pressures energy firms, right? So energy firms are losing money, right? The, the price of natural gas is dropping. If this were to continue, people could lose their jobs. And is this because we don't have enough natural gas? No, it's because there is too much natural gas, only in capitalism. Do you have a situation where people are hungry because there is too much food? <laughs> Only in capitalism do you have it's a situation where people are homeless because there are too many houses, right? And that's the irrationality that's of the system, and it shows the, the need of the for a state the to step in and control the centers of economic power. Well, no, he's he's basically pointing at the fundamental issue, right, where it's like supply and demand. So if there's too much supply, then obviously, you know, the price will will drop if there's a scarcity right. it's a most of the time as we know it's a created scarcity but, this but is our all biggest those problem artificial with the scarcities have been created by governments yes 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 i mean it, uh, my friend in the state department no tell i don't you every... i wouldn't say it's created by the government i would say it's created by the fact that the capitalist wants to produce as much stuff as possible <clears throat> But but at as little cost as possible as well, and the capitalist is always looking well, to increase technology so to make this, production more efficient. Well, this is this efficient. is where Kayla, this is where you and I disagree, and I, I would say it's sure. not the capitalist. Look at Henry Ford's model. You know, Ford had a lot of problems, but he was right. You know, he was against the Federal Reserve system. He was interesting. He was ahead of his time on the on the uh, electric car, I think, and he wanted to do. You know, he was interested in electric, and I think it was steam and steam power too. But Ford was a brilliant understanding of of capital when he said, "I want my workers to have high wages." Remember, he said, I want to pay my workers well because they're my consumers. And this is actually the businessman's model. And this is not the banker's model. Well, like, and this I, is what we have to get well, to is the yeah, banking, the banking model get with a, of, a, of economics. A, a definition here just yeah. to make sure that we're on the same page yeah. on something. But first, yeah. this, this thing about scarcity that's really interesting is that scarcity will always be a fact of reality in a finite universe but well, it's, what, an infinite, in it's an infinite universe oh it's an infinite shoot. universe as infinite as your mind <laughs> All right, as infinite okay. as the resources well, that we create okay until so, we escape the, the the well i'm getting to that part sean you know, okay, i'm getting there because there will always yeah. take no, it, it easy is, take no, it easy will, in in this in all the multiverses there will only be one version of this sean stone well, maybe and I that's am, scarcity maybe right I'm, there. I'm, the, I'm actually the, the scarcity compression. of Sean Stone well, no, but should I leave will the never be overcome but, by uh, the infinite nature of the universe. But here's the beauty. In the one Sean Stone are wow. all the multiverses. <laughs> that's romantic. <laughs> all right, yeah. So, so no, but the, 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 I, I, this is where I think it's important to recognize, and most people looking at these political problems don't acknowledge that in terms of energy, in terms of food, water, clothing, shelter, and even information, entertainment, all these things, we are coming to a point of uh, of post scarcity, and this is where I think that the zeitgeist analysis is 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 really important and powerful. Um, but th this uh, idea that that uh, without a government interference, that just technology making human beings more capable creates poverty or scarcity is absurd because it it, it just is it's all empowering in a way that means the value of an hour of human labor goes up and up and up. And, and as we get to the point of, uh, of, of this quasi-post-scarcity economy, <clears throat> to me, it, it gives us all the more incentive to say, we need to get this ethical thing figured out first, absolutely unequivocally. But the definition thing, I want to I clear up and, and then turn it back over to And then to I, Kayla, I got a question, too, after, I don't care. after no, you're done. Hey, Excuse me, can I finish? There are no stupid questions, only stupid I people. I just want to finish, so, that's all. I just want to finish. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. I drove all the way down here. I'm going to let you finish. All right, thank you. I did the driving, Dean. 
Really? Ask, ask your question. All right, you got so, no. bigger later. You know, okay. Jesus. You know, we're on a clock here. I know. Let's All right. So, Caleb, the point please. is that the definition of this term capitalism, because you're definitely using it in a, in a, in a, in a way different than, than I would. I, I think when you point to, I think it was one of the first things you said about a, a shift in the paradigm. I'm, I'm really with you there, but it doesn't have to be. The, the, I think that this definition would suggest. A, a different type of shift in understanding of material wealth and human happiness and commerce being based on all human interactions and respect for individual rights. And capitalism, I'm not challenging the dictionary definition here. The de- dictionary definition of capitalism is an ownership system based, or excuse me, an economic system based on ownership of the means of production. And when you are misled into thinking that the means of production are tools and factories and that the metrics of production are dollars and widgets, then you really miss the point and all of the dynamics that are so important in understanding the flow of value in the world from this analysis go out the window. But if you understand that the ultimate means of production is the individual human being and the only legitimate metric of productivity is human happiness, and you can break that down if you want to, into value and go to the next level and say, well, value of goods and services available to an individual human being. But it, it gives you that ethical framework that says this applies universally. So you say, re- when you say like reclaim the means of production, if it's a factory that was developed with stolen funds or government privilege and a community says, we don't recognize that ownership, we're repossessing it, I would say that's still capitalism. That's still a recognition of ownership of the means of production, even if it's communal. If a community of people was stolen from to create something, to create a factory, then they are the rightful owners of that product, of, or excuse me, of, 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 that, of that means of production, of that factory. That's not a, a different system. Un, under this, what I think is, is a more uh, comprehensive understanding of capitalism, that's still capitalism. Well, even socialism is government capitalism mm-hmm. in the sense that, look, we're, we know we're, we've evolved our societies to a place where you know, we don't have to operate basically on barter or on scarcity principles, right? Where it's like, I need to get food for today, so I need to work the land to get food, you know, to have, my, to have uh, someone give me food for, you know, for in exchange for That's work, how I live. right? Servitude. And <laughs> That's how Dean lives. Various forms of feudalism, right? Just where I, I lived, you know, people lived on the lands. They worked the lands. They were fed the for lands. it. We understand capitalism's importance in the sense of forward thinking, credit-based systems, or as they've evolved into debt, you know, debt slavery. Mm-hmm. But essentially the idea of, hey... You know, I didn't want to make a movie, and that's going to employ a few hundred people, and it's going to take a few months, and so someone has to make an investment, right? As we know, it's a, whether it's an automobile, whether it's you know, for, you know, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's the government paying for the infrastructure or issuing bonds to pay for a war, or you know, obviously these are the more horrific aspects of where we've seen capitalism go, right? As you as you say, Caleb, for destructive ends, but there is a notion of capital being invested for future. Uh, endeavor, right? They cannot simply be produced today for the immediate result of eating today. So, in this context, capital has to be has to be issued. Are you saying that ultimately the government should basically be the chief capitalist issuing the the funds for these projects for great projects? Is that well, how you see it? Because first, ultimately, there is capital yes. even in socialist systems, right? The the banking system should be controlled by the state. There's no question about it. Lending and credit should be given on the basis of what is good for the community, not for what makes profit for some banker. What the The community asks for, then. What the community requests, um, and they say, we want this as a community. Yeah, and let me add, um, by the way, you you brought up Henry Ford, and that's very interesting because Henry Ford was an industrial capitalist. He made Mm -hmm. cars. And if you read 
Henry Ford's writings, his anger was at finance capital, at bankers, mm -hmm. right? As bankers were coming to dominate the economy, Rockefeller and, and the Morgans and others that were tied in with banking, he was furious because he was an industrial capitalist. And as an industrial capitalist, his worldview was about making wealth through the creation of products. And so while he was vicious to his workers and the effort to unionize Ford was a very bloody one, people died. You read about how Dearborn, what went on there. And, and I know Bill McKay was a communist organizer. I mean, it was a horrendous, horrendous struggle to unionize Henry Ford's factories. But regardless, Henry Ford still had a more or less progressive worldview than that he wanted to create things. And he was ranting and he saw the threat to him. Um, as coming from finance. And in that case, it, it translated into anti-Semitism. A lot of his writings, he, he, he blamed the, the finance capitalists. He, he went into that whole thing about Jewish bankers, and that was, that was why Henry Ford. But the reason that Henry Ford was oppositional to the overall status quo in the United States is he saw finance as his enemy. And he was, he was earlier. He was in an earlier stage of, of capitalist development where the, the factory owners and captains of industry still dominated things. But he lived in a world in the 1930s and 40s that was very much run by bankers. And I think that was the contradiction between him and other, other wealthy people at the time. I believe he was one of the first billionaires in all of history, if I'm not mistaken, Rockefeller, right? Rockefeller, I think, was the first. Okay. Um, back when, back when he was, a, I think he was a millionaire in 1900 when a million was like a, was like being a billionaire. Remember, hold, hold on, remember Sean. If, if we took our currency right now, a dollar now would buy about a penny yeah, in 1913. Sean, I'm going to let Dean finish. Yeah, yes. we have five minutes. Dean has a question. <laughs> yeah, I do have a question. Thank you for uh, acknowledging my uh, presence in this tiny. <laughs> no, room. Hold, hold on, Dean. Dean, I'm going to let you finish. Well, God bless you too. Hold, yes. hold on, Dean. Okay. We got five right. minutes. Or we got five let's, minutes. Let's go. uh, I want a uh, question for the socialist. Is um, yeah, don't don't belittle him. Come on. I I forgot his name. Caleb. Yeah, don't call me out on air. Jesus, Jesus. Christ. <laughs> Sean, it's my show. Come on. Uh, anyways, Caleb. Sorry. Dean, I can't take you anywhere. I think it's a dangerous. I think it's a dangerous situation if we're going to force socialism on Americans, especially in the heartland. I think we're going to see a civil war like we've never seen, and. Honestly, where does the deep state come into play here? I mean, don't don't you believe Donald Trump's draining the swamp? I mean, you just made a non sequitur. <clears throat> By the way, can, hey, can I, I just point one thing? Can out? I not ask a question? I just, no, I just want to give a little well, response before Caleb does. Don't, doesn't all, it occur to you, by the way, that maybe that the idea, like, if someone says, "Hey, we should have like universal Medicare," like that is not necessarily like a social... I mean, it's it's well, being branded no, as it's a, a socialist well, tactic. It's a service, though. But it's, well, a, it's a service. It's a service. It's, it's, not, say, it's not saying that like you it's can't have other doctors or other providers of medicine beyond... That's not what uh, Hills Up well, Paris is well, saying. Me, okay, so... Let me jump in here and say, I think the reason that there is so much widespread opposition to socialism in many parts of the United States is that people equate socialism with taxation and the redistribution of wealth. Well, and you can and only shoot right, your way out of it. That's the status quo. That, that is you can only shoot your way out of right. socialism. That is, that is, that is massive support for the status quo. Because Calm redistribution down. of wealth happens under every system to some degree or other. The streets outside of the building I'm in right now were paid for with wealth that was redistributed from me. Right? right. That there is redistribution of wealth, taxation, you know, building of government infrastructure, social programs. These things happen under every system to some degree or other. The difference between socialism and capitalism is how production is directed. If the economy is functioning on the basis of chaos of the market, what is profitable for a small group of owners, that's capitalism, right? Socialism is a rationally planned economy. And the goal of socialists is to expand personal property. They want 
average people to have bigger incomes and have and have a more wealth and more of a comfortable existence. And the way to do that is to have the economy rationally planned and controlled. And I think that's important. Second of all, I would say that that, you know, you raise the deep state, and that's very important. Yes, because, thank you. Because, you know, these Democratic debates beneath the surface, sure. there is a fight in the Democratic Party, I think, between elements that are just average young people who want a better country. And they, they look at Europe, they say, hey, why can't we have free health care? Why can't we have more of a welfare state? And then I would say some of the most evil forces in the United States, the forces that were behind the Hillary Biden. Clinton State Department that have, have just been a disaster. I mean, if you look, we're still suffering the results of the Hillary Clinton State Department. All these immigrants on the border coming from where? Honduras, where she overthrew an elected leader and, cre- and cast the whole country into chaos, right? Uh, you know, look at Syria, look at Libya today. I mean, the whole world is suffering because of what the Hillary Clinton State Department, which is really closely tied to, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations and the Ford Foundation and really Really, these powerful mm. elements that are tied in with the highest levels of finance capital mm-hmm. that are probably the most dangerous and evil section of the American status quo. I, I wasn't happy that Donald Trump won the election, but I was very happy that Hillary Clinton didn't win the election. Yes. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, didn't vote for Trump either. But but there is an effort on on certain elements, I think, within the Democratic Party to not only beat back the Bernie Sanders and progressive and optimistic wing of their own party, but also to remove Trump because they see him as a barrier to, the, to this rule of, of corporations on an international scale. And I think that's what all of us are up against. The reason the standard of living is declining in the United States is because – Overall, the United States, like so many other countries, is being, you know, dissolved into this global international financial system mm-hmm. where everyone gets poorer and a few billionaire banker monopolists on Wall Street get rich. And right. it's very, very dangerous. Right. But let's add, th- these are the people that created libertarianism, right? Milton Friedman, no, no. one would have ever heard of him if the Rockefellers hadn't oh, funded him. Ayn Rand, Gary the Johnson. psychopath. Uh, who now we really got to define terms. we we got to go. We're not going to find We're not going to find And anarchism has always been a left-wing socialist current. You can go back to Peter Kropotkin, you can go back to Proudhon. Anarchism has always understood that capital is authority, right? I'm not an anarchist. I don't speak for anarchism. But but the anarchist movement has always been an anti-capitalist movement until recently, until suddenly these these creatures from from Wall Street uh, suddenly uh, appropriated the term. Yeah. Look, we're not going to find peace to resolve all our issues today, but I think that we've hit on some really important issues that we can all agree upon. And I think that's the, that's the most important point moving forward is, as I said, how do we, uh, how do we separate ourselves from a system that is morally, ethically, economically bankrupt and actually dead? It's basically a dead thing. Corporation is what? It's a corpse. And we're literally giving energy to the corpse so long as we play along with that game. So let's start thinking about new systems. And we've got Beavis and Butthead right here in one person. But no, we can literally just be on our on our own. We can start moving in our own directions in, in communities, be it local, be it national, transnational because of the Internet, because of because of currencies like, you know, cryptos and other things that allow us to transact and other means of of moving forward a technology that will allow us to basically start to uh, disentangle from a dead system and look whatever that looks like it doesn't have to have a brand or a name behind it. i think that's the beauty of it is it's if we're really living in love it's not about saying well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna transact with you because you're a socialist or you're an anarchist or you're a republican or you're a democrat let go of the brands let go of the labels be from an authentic space of existing with integrity finding beings that, that operate with those same principles of virtue, integrity, ethics, and we can, I think, start to build, we can be the city builders 
of a much better planet, or at least, you know, of the, of the lives that we want to live. And maybe that's the point. You know, we have to be more in our own space, in our own being, and not worrying about what other people are doing so much and telling other people what to do. Because ultimately, I think a lot of times, going around telling others what to do just indicates our own lack of self-involvement, of actually refining our own selves and our own issues in our lives. So that's my message for today on Buzzsaw 2020. Amen. And I thank you guys. Really, really appreciate Thanks. everyone sure. coming in here. Namaste. Absolutely a pleasure. Yes. Thank you, Shane. Blessings. Thank you all. This has been Monuments Production.